You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. We've been going through the book of Acts starting in September, and we're going to continue that for the bulk of the rest of the year. We'll go all the way into December. But because of that, we're going to miss some things uh, in the passages that always try and fill in the gaps for us so that we know where we've been and where we're going. If you've watched, though, anything about um, church life, specifically evangelicalism, and if you don't know what that is, it's a specific flavor of church life and specific beliefs about the scriptures and the need for personal evangelism, uh, and also some of the largest churches in the U.S. Are, would be affiliated with evangelicalism. And I'm not saying that as like a good thing, like a pat on the back, go us. I'm saying that it's just that's often what you are seeing. But another thing that you're seeing as you look at those two worlds is you are seeing, uh, which seems to be a lot of leaders, I say a lot, it seems like a lot, within that movement falling for one reason or another. Falling. They just, they just uh, something goes on in how they lead, how they handle money, and how they treat people that ends up getting exposed and then really uh, ends their ability and really their qualification for ministry in that capacity going forward. And for me as a pastor, it is one of the most terrifying things. It just, it always scares me because we like to think of like an us-them mentality when that goes on, when we see people in, you know, in positions of leadership fall. We go, oh, well, that wouldn't happen to me because dot, 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 dot. And it's just not true. It, misunder, it, it underestimates how the flesh works in life. It, it underestimates what really, if left to ourselves, we could accomplish in the flesh. And so it's really not, well, if only they had X, Y, and Z, or if only they did ministry better, or if only they were more like us, then they wouldn't have that problem because we're quick to run to solutions. But what it does in me and what it does in other uh, pastor leaders and friends of mine is it, it really does terrify us. It terrifies us because God takes his church seriously. He takes the leadership of his church seriously. And you'll see pastors who had decades of what seemed to be faithful ministries flame out in the last five months, just done. And I'm grateful that God cares about his church more than we do because he exposes those types of things. He exposes deceit. He exposes lies. He exposes bad leadership. He exposes those things because he cares about his church more than we do. He exposes those things because he, as we read in Isaiah, he does not share his glory with another. So somebody who tries to take credit for how they lead or what they do, God does not do that. And so in the end, those types of things, those types of ways to lead get exposed. Grateful though, as we look at the scripture, I get grateful because I see both Old Testament and New Testament that this is something God has always done. He has always cared about how his people reflect him to the world. And as we get into Acts chapter five this morning, we're gonna see that. We're gonna see God's concern for his church and his leaders and his congregation, and we're gonna see what he does when people try and present themselves as better than they actually are. 
when they try and present themselves as more generous and more righteous and more holy and more good than they actually are. And what we see in Acts chapter five does not happen nearly as often as we will read those first 11 verses. We don't just see people every Sunday falling over dead, I hope. But it shows us again that God has great concern for his church, for how his church is led, for how people contribute to his church. And it's interesting because Acts chapter five is dealing with generosity. Well, we preach in Acts chapter four, the first part about being uh, before before the Sanhedrin and talk, Peter and John are talking about how they are going to speak about Jesus and they just, you know, the Sanhedrin goes, just stop doing it, stop talking about Jesus and then they leave and they go and tell their church family and their church family prays and they pray for more boldness to speak and then Acts chapter four ends with the church again sharing, it's kind of a summary statement, they're sharing their goods, they're sharing their possessions, they're selling property that they might have to distribute to the needs of the church. And as we get into Acts chapter five, we see another couple trying to do the same thing, but as they share, they do it with the wrong heart. And God hates it. He hates it. And so we'll be in the first 11 verses of Acts chapter five. And so for those of you that uh, like uh, stories where uh, crazy things happen, the first 11 verses of Acts chapter five can be just that. So I'm gonna read those 11 verses right now. Verse one, so but a man, and that means because, because he's contrasting with the kindness of Barnabas in chapter, the end of chapter four, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your, your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Acts chapter five, one through 11, it's two paragraphs that are symmetrical essentially in their approach. We have some information in the first part as to what this couple did and then we follow that with Ananias they, do, you know, they give the money, Peter confronts, they lie, Ananias dies. Then some time passes, Sapphira comes in, Peter confronts, Sapphira lies, Sapphira dies. So both of these paragraphs are following the same flow. And as I thought about this, I go, how, how, do, we, how do we preach this? Because again, Acts is a book that is showing us the church beginning to be built and the things that happen with an Acts don't always happen today. And so I said, the principle's not like, well, don't lie or you might die um, immediately because we clearly know that that's not the case. 
We know that, that there is deceit and people can deceive in the church for years and years and years and still not have this result. So how do we look at this and try to make sense of what is going on so that we can understand it, apply it, and hopefully, I would hope for our sake, have the same fear? So I'll start with this about us, just our hearts and what we can do, is that man, couples, people, church members, we can go to great lengths to gain status before others. Great lengths to to gain status before others because at the end of the day, this seems to be essentially what they're doing. They sell some property and they keep a portion of the property and they give a portion. Okay, just in general, that's fine. There's no rule that says if you sell property, you have to give 100% of it to the church. There is no rule anywhere that says that and Peter makes that incredibly clear as he talks. You don't have to do this. What happened though is that they sold their property, then they gave a portion. Let's just say they gave 75%. So when they give that 75%, what they say is, this is all of it. This is all of it. We sold the property and we're giving you all of it. And that's not the case. So whatever the percentage was, they're going to great lengths to gain status before their church. They sold their property, which was fine. They decided to sell it, had a piece, and then with his wife's knowledge, he kept back a portion for himself, that's verse one, and they only brought some and laid it at the apostles' feet. In verses seven and eight, as we follow the parallel, Sapphira comes in and in verse eight, Peter says, did you sell the land for so much, this amount, whatever amount it was? And it noticed that Luke is not interested in the amount because the amount's not the important part here because then we would get all comparative. Well, you know, how much does that equal today and can I give that much today? So he just goes, just tell me, did you sell it for the amount you said this much? And she says, yes, for so much. She even had an opportunity essentially not to die and she didn't take it because why? She wanted to look good in front of her church. He wanted to look extra generous in front of his church. How do we do that today? I thought about that. How do we, how do we, how do we try to look good in front of our church family? I mean, it can be in the clothes that we wear. It can be in the debt that we take on to be generous right, giving on that credit card, just like, yeah, well, we'll both pay it back, right, like that, we don't need anybody to try and be more generous than they actually are. We don't need you to lie about your level of generosity, and we don't need you to give money that you actually don't have so that you can look generous. We don't need any of that. And yet, this is something that our hearts might tempt us to do, that we want to have a certain kind of presentation before people. We want to have a certain kind of presentation before our friends, before our church family, before others. We want to look better than we always are. We're never as good as we want to look. And so the temptation for us is to try and present a person to the church that actually is not real. It's just hollow and shallow. And may that not be the case with us. Well, why shouldn't it be the case with us? Because as we see in the following portions of chapter five, verse three and five and verse nine, is that God sees and exposes deceit. 
We don't need to present ourselves as better than we are because that changes our understanding of the gospel. The gospel says you're not good enough ever. You're not good enough ever and Jesus died for you. And through faith in him, you are good enough because of what Jesus has done. You have his righteousness. You have the grace of God applied to you. You have eternal life with God. You are good enough and God sees our hearts. So in humility, for those of us who have received the grace of God, we should be able to say, I'm, I'm not good in and of myself. It is only what God has done for me. And when we have that heart, we can live in life together in humility. But when we present something that actually isn't true, we are not allowing the grace of God to penetrate where it should. We're not viewing God's grace in the right way because we go, no, I am a wicked, wicked person and I need his grace. God sees and exposes deceit in his church. So as we look at verses three and verse three, four, and five of chapter five, we see this. Peter said, and this is like a Holy Spirit prophetic moment because he doesn't know how much the property sold for, but the Spirit enlightens his mind to be able to speak. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, was it not, at your, was it not your own? Right? It's your property. And when you sold it, was it not at your disposal? That is, you could have spent all of it, you could have given some of it, just be honest with us. That's all you need to do. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart, you have not lied to man, but to God? Now notice the connection between the Holy Spirit and God. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit, and then just a few verses later, you haven't lied to man, but you have lied to God. Holy Spirit is God. When Ananias heard these things, he fell down and he breathed his last. The same thing in verse nine, first part of verse nine, but Peter said to Sapphira, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? That the eyes of God in our church family, in our lives are everywhere. Can see the depths of our heart and the depths of our sin and the depths of our deceit. And it's interesting to note the gravity of this situation. Why has Satan filled your heart? That the way in which even we might give is a spiritual battle. The attitude with which we might give is a spiritual battle. To hold back and not be generous, spiritual battle. To try to look generous and actually not be, spiritual battle. That God is concerned for the purity, the holiness of his church. He wants us to be refined and he will see and he will expose deceit. So for us, we need to live in light of God's eyes and over our hearts and our communities because he is aware, he is concerned, and he is present. And for us, this could mean either. It could be in our giving and it could be in our withholding. Both of these things are spiritual matters. In our giving or in our withholding, we can be lying to God. We can allow the, our flesh to win the day and not yield to the Holy Spirit. Peter 
The Spirit through Peter takes this so seriously. And that's why I talk to friends who might be going through struggles at their churches or issues. I just go, let God expose the deceit in his church. You don't have to. God does it. And it may not take much time or it might take longer than we had hoped, but God exposes it because he is concerned about his church. But I just imagine what would happen one day if we're doing this and then one of you just walks to the offering boxes in the back and as you put it in, you just fall over dead. I, I wouldn't even know what to do in that moment. Like, we're like, well, did they have a heart attack? Like, you know, what, what, what does a doctor say? Maybe it was just something that happened randomly we didn't really know, or maybe they were lying. The same thing happens in 1 Corinthians. People are taking communion, and some of them are dying because they're taking it the wrong way. And I'm like, ah, how, does, how do we do that? How do we actually, as a faith community, recognize the severity of our sin and the heart of God for it? I do think that the text gives us answers for that that we see at the end of each paragraph. But we have to remember this first. That as, just as God sees and exposes sin, deceit, lies within his church, he also will appropriately punish that same sin that gets exposed. He will do that. Again, because he cares about his church. And so we see this with Ananias. And, great, and he fell down and he breathed his last. The young men came, wrapped him up, and took him out because they did not even give him a proper normal burial today. They just got rid of that. They said, we're not gonna handle this. We're just gonna move this guy out immediately because we don't want what's going on to remain here. The same thing happened with Sapphira. Verse 10, immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in, they found her dead, they carried her out and they buried her beside her husband. God will punish his church with Ananias and Sapphira. It happens immediately. And I think it happens immediately for one specific reason. Because this whole community is new. And they're trying to work out, how does life in this new community happen? How does church life here happen? How do we care appropriately? And we have moved, right, from, from uh, uh, an era under law to an era under grace. Really, grace is always there, but now Jesus Christ has come, and the work in the church is important work that we do, and God needed to show his church how serious it is when we lie within our church family, when we deceive. And so he uses this as an example. And that example, I think, has the right response. Now, while this may not happen in the same way today, it largely doesn't, does it? <clears throat> I would say this. Don't ever expect God to go lightly on things that steal glory from him. That is one of the biggest mistakes that we could make, is to get credit for something that only God can do, to take credit for something that only God can do. Our concern, as we see this, knowing that God punishes deceit in his church, 
is that we can't go, well, that doesn't happen to me anymore. That was just back then and that was crazy. No, God still cares. He is still concerned and we should never take lightly things that we might do and contrive in our own hearts to receive, to rob God of glory because really anything at Genesis that happens that is good happens because of what the Spirit is doing within us. Anything. So it's always, isn't it always one of the weirdest things when someone comes up to you and they might be like, hey, Matt, great singing, or uh, hey, Amanda, that was awesome the way you did that. Like, what do you do in those moments? She's like, yeah, well, you know, I'm kind of awesome. You don't do that. You know, I'm, I'm the best. I've always been the best. That's kind of the wrong attitude. God's going to, you know, I had a, uh, one time I had somebody who didn't seem to care about uh, really how God wanted anybody to live. And, and, and as, as said it as bluntly as like, I know God doesn't like it and I'm just kind of cool with it and God can judge me for it. And so I shared that with a pastor and mentor friend of mine and he, it was half a joke, he go, but wasn't also, he goes, that's the kind of thing lightning was invented for. <laughs> because we start as we, right, like one little lie or one little moment of deceit that can happen in our heart or we get away with something, and what does that start to do? It starts to convince us that we can and maybe God's even cool with it because we go, well, if it happened, right, if it happened once, it's not, you know, I didn't get in trouble, then I should be good again and that isn't ever the case. God knows, he sees, he's aware and so no, it often doesn't happen in the same way but we cannot expect God He doesn't look it over. In fact, the death of Jesus shows us that God does not look over sin. Sin has significant consequence. So much so that the Son of God died for us. So to think that God's just gonna kind of sweep a sin under the rug is a misunderstanding of how the gospel works. There are no sins swept under rugs. There are only sins that are forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and faith in him. But even as we live our life today, and even as we begin to follow after him, we put our faith in Jesus, and we walk a road of discipleship, even as we do that as a church family in our community groups and just here together, the Lord is still dealing with and handling any sin that may happen. He's still exposing it, and he's doing that because he is gracious. That might be a hard thing for us to fathom, but the exposure of sin is a gracious thing. Imagine what would have happened if Ananias and Sapphira got away with that little bit of deceit. And what can that start to sow in the life of the community? What can that start to do as you can see that, well, we can get away with some things. We can kind of just move the goalpost here and move it again over there and just kind of remake the playing field for how we're gonna live our church life together. And God goes, I'm not going to let that happen. Not gonna let that happen. And so then we see for you and for me, what is the proper response when we see that God's judgment is real for his church and on sin? Proper response is what we see in the end of the first paragraph and the end of the second, which is fear. Fear. Not scared, Like we can't approach God because we can. The scriptures tell us to approach him with freedom and confidence. But fear in recognizing his power, his glory, his concern for his church and the reputation that that gives to the world 
He has great concern over that. So we can see this. The end of uh, verse five. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down, breathed his laugh, and great fear came upon all who heard it. Go to the next paragraph. Verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and all who heard these things. The congregation and all who heard what happened had fear because of what they saw or heard. And I I wonder sometimes for us, is fear of the Lord, fear of just how big he is. Is that something that actually is in our lives and in our hearts and how we operate today? You know, when you're a kid and you go to somebody's house or you go, you know, you always remember things and people as bigger than they are. And then you show up and you see them and you're like, I remember this place being so much bigger. I remember this place, be, like, I, 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 I can touch the ceiling now, but back in the day, it, was, it must have been 25 feet high. Who actually knocked the ceiling down to eight feet? You were always so tall. Then all of a sudden, you're taller than your dad. My dad shrunk a little bit. I'm like, right now we're looking eye to eye. You know, we're, and what starts to happen as we do that and as we grow up physically, the things that used to seem imposing no longer are. And what our flesh can do in moments as we begin to grow up spiritually is that our flesh tries to tell us that we shouldn't be as concerned for the size of God as we should be, for the, for the holiness of God as we should be, for his concern for purity as we should be. Our flesh will take that and go, see, no, 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 you're good. God's not gonna, you know, like, the grace is there and you're just gonna be fine. And we trick ourselves into thinking that we should not have fear for how God can, has concern for his church. Or we just, again, paint ourselves as us versus them and go, oh, well, I would never do that. There's no statement about Ananias and Sapphira that says, and they were terrible people. You know, they're contrasted with Barnabas here at the end of chapter four. Barnabas was awesome, Ananias and Sapphira, they stunk. And if we had those little comments about who they were, you know what we could do is we could look at that and go, oh, well, I'm not like that. But one of the most important things that we can do together, brothers and sisters, is to go, I could be just like that. I could be just like that. I could deceive. In fact, we probably have. We probably have. So here's a way we could receive. And I I always get nervous about saying these because I get particular uh, but we'll talk about our generosity. So most people, and we'll talk about withholding versus giving, because I, I don't know if many of us are in the sell your house and, and you know, give a portion boat. I don't know if many of us are there right now. So we'll talk about it on the other side. How many of us might think in our heads, like, I give off of my income, but extra gifts and things like that I don't give off of? So if I have money, you know, I have a job, I'm gonna always contribute off of that. But maybe for a birthday, you're given something. Do you stop and think, can I give? What can I support? Like in, our, in our minds, we often divide that up as like income earned, that's what I give off of. And other things that show up, nope, no idea. 
And I'm not gonna say you must, right? Once I start creating laws like that, then we get really good at check boxes. But I just go, do you even consider that any increase in your life from any source is an opportunity to be generous? Or have you kind of partitioned off certain places and gone, well, you know, I give here, but when that shows up, I don't. And I had a friend one time, we had a great chat about it, I said, man, you know, I know you have that kind of, I call it side hustle. I have a savings account called side hustle. I said, I'm so glad that you have that. Do you give off of that? I don't really think, I hadn't really thought about that. You should. You should because like it's increased in your life and in your heart. And, and now like that's like free generosity. You can just go do it. You can just give off of it. And he's like, mm, man, I hadn't really, really thought about that. Because why? We had kind of partitioned off extra stuff as ours and, uh, and the, like, our income as God's. I said, you should really, you should consider that. Because one of the coolest things that you can do when you get extra money is give it. You weren't counting on it. And so you can be generous with it. So in the same way that they got increase and they lied about how much they give, we could get increase and then not act like it even existed not even act like it even existed. Why? Because it doesn't show up on the tax return. But I think it's because we together as a community have an opportunity, and I might even say obligation to help us, help one another. Because our hearts are always wanting to hide. Our flesh is always leaning towards not exposing, covering up, looking better than we are. And graciously and lovingly, we need to be able to say, are we doing this right? Are we doing this right? Are, are, is, is that the right decision to make? Are we, are we doing this the right way? Is this honest? Is this upright? Those conversations don't happen often in churches, do they? These aren't conversations that we like having because we're like, hey, I'm here, which means I'm okay. I'm here, I'm in the service, I'm sitting down, my kids are well-behaved, snacking on goldfish, whatever else it might be, so we're good. Because we assume like presence or proximity is the mark of our righteousness, but that's not it. Is that we as a community have an obligation together to help one another live purely. And you see that in Peter, don't you? When Peter's going, Ananias, what are you doing? What are you doing? Now, here's the test of this. Like, let's pretend one of you win the lottery. And I do feel to a, to a degree that the lottery is built on the backs of people who can't generally afford life. And so you win the lottery. And you go, I want to give to the church. Then I'm like, well, how much do I actually believe that, right? I mean, if you want to give to the church a couple million dollars, I can figure out what to do with it. But what do I hear Peter saying? I don't want your money. I don't want you to lie. You could have done whatever you wanted with it at any time, when you had the property, when you sold it. I would rather you not lie to God in this moment than for us to have your money. And that's when I realized there is, there's a generosity God hates. And it's the kind that's fake. It's the kind that puts us above the gift or the heart of the gift, our status. Peter exposes it, the communal aspect of how we operate together. 
So if you have a, this is where I go, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I like the implications of this passage because just pretend for a moment that you have a job that is, let's say less than noble, okay? Where deceit could be a part of it. And yet you are giving regularly out of that to the church, which I doubt you would do if your job is less than noble, but we're just gonna pretend. The test for me as the leader is to go, are we okay with that? Can we treat money benignly? Can we treat giving as just, oh, it's just a gift. That's no big deal. Like they're just contributing to it and it's all good and we can, we can use it for God's purposes. But what I hear Peter say is, I wanna go ahead and just stop that at the door because we want gifts that are given gladly and joyfully because God loves a cheerful giver and you are not giving cheerfully here. You are giving for your own gain. And so it's almost like when you're online, you give, and like, there like, should be like a checkbox. Like, are you glad to give this? And if no, it's like, sorry, stop, you know, work on your heart. But we're just like, come on, bring it on, right? I, I struggle with how this actually works out for us because of how seriously God takes the hearts of the people in his church. So if I could just kind of summarize it into at least ideas for us, this. We need to run away from any attempt to make ourselves look good. That's one. We need to always remember that even if we have the grace of Jesus Christ in our hearts, that God is still concerned about our holiness and how we are living in community together. Third, we need to allow God to be the one to punish, expose, discipline, deceit. Sometimes it's so easy for us to try and be the one, like the, the justice giver, but allow God to do it in God's timing and in God's ways, and that might mean God uses you, it does. The Spirit prompted Peter to say what Peter said. But I think then fourth, we need to remember how to fear God. We need to remember just how great he is. And we need to remember just how important the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ is. And when Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, and he says, the church which was bought with the blood of Jesus, the souls of people that the sacrifice of Jesus has saved, that that is the work that we are in. And so we need to have a right response and respect and reverence and fear of who he is. Not, if you're in Jesus, you're not you know, walking around just uh, going, man, there could just be some moment that God just slaps me and I'm done. That's not what I mean there. But to recognize his power to recognize his power and his authority over the church and to allow that to saturate our lives and our worship, that is okay. So that I am terrified of being a pastor that when I'm in my 50s and 60s on the back end, stuff gets exposed, that's okay. Because that concern for God's purity for his church keeps me focused on him. I confess stuff to these elders that are ridiculous. I just say things, I'm like, hey, just so you know, like here's, you know, I, I, I kind of grimaced at somebody and it was, I was angry. Like it might just be something like that. 
Because I'm like, I just have to stay open before these guys. I need to keep my heart pure before these guys because you never know once you get away with something what your heart starts to do to it. You never know. And we don't wanna be those people. Right respect, right reverence, and right response to the grace of God and his love for the church, that is what we want to always have, that upright posture. And I see that in so many of your hearts, that reverence and fear of God. I see what has been, uh, been just uh, fanned to flame here at Genesis. I'm grateful to be a part of it because I see people who want to respond to God with the right heart and the right way, with the right attitudes, with the right joy. And so I want to pray that remains in us right now. Heavenly Father, as we read here about your early church, our uh, first brothers and sisters in the faith. And we see the fear they had when sin got exposed and dealt with. And we see the concern they had for you and the concern you had for the church that that weighed heavily on them. God, I pray in this moment right now that we would always have that and keep that. Lord, that you would help us as a, as a people when we are tempted to deceive, when we are tempted to uh, walk away from you, when we're tempted to try and get away with something, and even perhaps when we do, that your spirit would expose what is going on in our hearts. Make it clear. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the grace that we have in Jesus. We're grateful that you have saved us. We are grateful, Lord, that you love us. And may we, because of the grace that we have in Jesus, pursue lives of purity, holiness, righteousness for your cause. And may this place, Genesis Community Church, be a church that is always striving in all the power that we have by your spirit, always striving to live upright to expose the sin in our own hearts and to confess it, that you might receive glory and honor from it. And we pray it in Christ's name, amen.